In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, and today is the fourth and final Sunday of the 12th month of the Catholic year, the month of Missouri. And as we mentioned uh, a couple weeks back, uh, you recall that we've got 12 months in the Catholic calendar, and then you have a small month made up of five or six days of the this year. But this year, uh, and normally the, the last Sunday of Missouri, which is today, and the, and the one Sunday of the small month, which called the Nessie. Both were focused on the theme of the end of the world, the judgment, um, the resurrection of the dead, and so on. But next Sunday, uh, it happens to fall on the 29th of the Coptic month of Missouri, and whenever we have a Sunday that falls on the 29th of the Coptic month, it's a festival uh, liturgy where we commemorate the Feast of the Annunciation, the Nativity, and the Resurrection. So next week, even though it will be the final Sunday of the calendar, it will be actually a festival liturgy with uh, the festival tone, and we commemorate the three great feasts of our Lord, and so the theme of the readings will not be about the, uh, the end of the world, which uh, is probably good that we don't focus too much on it in weeks ago, but, um, so this week, um, as I mentioned, the, the themes of the end of the world, as we saw the gospel, the second coming, death, judgment, all of these are, are, are represented by the readings today, and there's um, this interplay, of course, between these historical events, which, which take place, of course, in time, in actual history, and meaning that God gives to them. So it's not just that we are on this uh, trajectory from beginning to end, but the, the point is, is that we, we want to find meaning, we want to find purpose and understanding along the way and how God interjects himself in the history of, of, of the world. And so, there's this beautiful passage from the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes uh, is sometimes can appear to be a pessimistic book. You know, vanity of vanities, you know, all is vanity. And, uh, and then, you know, there's the chapter, what's new under the sun? There's nothing new under the sun. You know, and there's sort of this, this pessimistic view of life in which everything sort of has this sort of twofold cyclical uh, reality, you know, life and death, beginning and end. So, in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, um, there is the, the well-known chapter about uh, to everything there is a season, to everything there is a time. And so the, the author says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So life is presented sort of in this very sort of strong dichotomy between two poles, two realities, two dimensions. Um, but the reality of, of, of Christ's entry into human history, the reality of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, the salvific works of Christ, is that in fact there are three old dimensions, 
realities, there is a threefold scheme that is um, very meaningful for us to try to enter and understand and apply to our lives. How can we define this threefold scheme? I think um, one of the best definitions or terminologies that, that are used were, was provided by a contemporary uh, scholar, um, somebody who's very uh, respected in the academic world for his work on the Psalms, a professor who's written uh, dozens of books on the, on the book of the Psalms and commentaries, and uh, his name is Walter Brueggemann. And Walter Brueggemann, in, uh, in a wonderful book about the spirituality of the Psalms, he speaks about how the Psalms mirror the seasons of life. So when we talk about seasons or time or everything under the sun, he speaks of not only seasons in life, but seasons in the soul, seasons in the reality of our experience living in this world in relationship with God and with one another. And he says the Psalms mirror these three seasons. And in most of the Psalms we can find either all three of these seasons or a transition from one to the other or a focus on one. And he calls it the flow of life. Now, he defines them as orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. Or the third one sometimes is referred to as reorientation. It's really important that we sort of have that terminology from the beginning because it's really important how we're going to look at the rest of our reflections together. Orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. And these three seasons of life, again, are mirrored in the life of the soul. Now let's give a, a sort of brief definition of what these three seasons entail. So the season of orientation is the season of well-being. This is the sort of everything is good. Everything is okay. Everything is stable. Everything is as I understand it and make sense of it. Everything is as and perhaps it should be. There's a certain coherence to my life. There's a certain uh, rhythm and coherence to my life. And I'm at peace. And there's a sense of gratitude that maybe accompanies this coherence. But then there are seasons of disorientation. And the disorientation can come from many, many um, uh, different aspects and ways in our life. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be a uh, financial problem at, uh, in my work or in my, my family. It could be difficulty in my marriage. It could be a problem in my service. Um, it could be anything that sort of disorients us, that sort of takes us out of that coherence that takes us, shakes us a little bit, it's sort of like we feel the ground sort of slipping away underneath us. And this season is often um, uh, related in, uh, through feelings and emotions of hurt, alienation, suffering, darkness, confusion, resentment, anger, insecurity, self-pity, and even death. So disorientation is Sort of when the world all of a sudden, in a very short period of time, becomes incoherent to me, and becomes painful, and becomes uh, a difficult mystery to live through. It's what the psalmist, and we may look at some of the verses of the psalmist, uh, described as sort of being in this deep pit, and, and, and crying out for help out of this deep pit. 
Now the problem, of course, with disorientation is that we're sort of forced to be in this transition period. We're in this period of waiting and not knowing. You know, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how we're going to come out of this disorientation. We don't know what's on the other side of it. And, and so that, that mystery, that, that darkness is very painful. But then there's a third season or a third development in this experience, which is what we call new orientation. And this is the season of surprise. This is the season of being overwhelmed by the interjection of God in, in, in the events of our life. This is when, um, the way I think of it is, I'm not very, uh, I don't really like uh, air travel very much. I have no problem with planes. I don't have any issue flying planes. I enjoy uh, the experience of a plane flying in the air, but I hate everything, uh, you know, leading to the airport and lines and the security and being cramped in the chair and crawling over somebody who would have gotten, like, I don't enjoy any of that. But there's one thing that I absolutely love about being in an airplane. That's why I always try to get a window seat. And it's, it's, it's when we, we, we begin our ascent, and I almost hope that we enter into clouds, you know, these really, really thick clouds where you have zero visibility. And if it's dark, clouds, like dark, gray, black clouds, even better. And then there's this moment, in a very, in like a split second, when you, you rise above the clouds, and you have nothing but blue sky and sun, and you're, you see yourself hovering over, it looks like snow. And there's this, for me anyways, it evokes this tremendous feeling of um, exultation or exhilaration. I don't know how to describe it, but I, I immediately praise God at that moment. For whatever reason, it just for me, it sort of tickles my fancy. I don't know, but but I love that experience, and for me, that's sort of what new orientation is. New orientation is that moment when very, a very brief moment, sort of, we, we we discover a new coherence to our life. Perhaps God interjects in a very miraculous way or powerful way, but it, it evokes a sense of wonder and deep gratitude, and we don't know how it happens. It's not something that we can necessarily anticipate. And it's in the Gospels, it's sort of like, how can we, how can we possibly understand how a dead man is raised from the dead? How can we possibly understand how a blind man who's been blind all his life in a split second receives his sight? Or a lame man gets up and walks? Right? In the same way that we can't possibly anticipate or understand those things, that's how we move from disorientation to new orientation. So it's, it's, again, uh, it evokes experience of joy and wonder and awe and amazement and gratitude. And so the, the, the reality is that we are, in our life, we are either in one of these three orientations or we are in the transition between one and the other. And each of them, again, is uh, even related to the life of God himself. God allows himself to go through the, this sort of threefold experience. So let's first look at the, uh, the experience of humanity as a whole, because we're talking about the end of the world and try to make sense of the beginning and the end. Right? So we can say that when God created us and he placed us in the paradise of joy, we call that the time of life, orientation. Everything is as it should be. God has placed us in this beautiful garden. We are in communion with God. We have dominion over the, the animals.
naming them. We can eat of everything that we want except one tree. And then, in disobedience, right, we're cast out of our homeland. We're cast out of paradise. And so now begins what? The period of disorientation. And humanity lives in this period of disorientation, in this relationship with God, thousands of years. But then, there is this moment, right? Perhaps we say it's the moment when the Archangel Gabriel appears to the young virgin, St. Mary, and announces that God is about to bring fruit into humanity and to do something awe-inspiring, amazing, wonderful, beautiful, and something that will not only replicate what we had in the garden, but even do something more beautiful and better for our future. And so the incarnation begins this period of new orientation. Redemption, salvation bring about a newness of how God surprises us with his love, with his mercy, with his salvation, his redemption, and brings us into this newness of life. And so we say in the divine energy, right, we, we, we repeat these three seasons over and over again. So in the, in the, in the prayer that we're going to say right after the Reconciliation prayer is the way, oh God, the great the eternal before man and in corruption, disorientation. Right? And death which entered into the world, disorientation. Right? You have what destroyed by the life-giving manifestation of the only God's Son, you have filled the earth with the heavenly peace, the new orientation. Again, just right after that, when we do the three holies, he says, Holy, 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 O Lord, our God, who formed us, created us, and placed us in the paradise of joy. This is what, again, our orientation. And then again, he repeats, But when we disobeyed your commandment by the deceit of the serpent, we fell from eternal life and were exiled from the paradise of joy. Now we enter into disorientation. And then he says what? You have not abandoned us in this disorientation, but you have manifested yourself to us. Jesus, who was incarnate, taught us the ways of salvation, granted us the birth of our high, sanctified us by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Liturgy is this beautiful celebration of our new orientation in Christ Jesus. And in Christ himself, there is this experience of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation at many levels. But even in the very incarnation, St. Paul says, in Philippians, the famous chapter of uh, the incarnation in Philippians, Humility of God says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Did you see the three? The three? Right? So, though he was in the form of God, he is God in heaven throughout all eternity. That's his orientation. But then he was. He emptied himself and became a slave. became a servant. And now, this is the disorientation of God's entry into our human existence. But because he emptied himself and entered into our disorientation and nailed it on the cross, but God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So the, the feast of the ascension we celebrate this new exaltation, which we all share in the, the new orientation. Again, we can look at the experience of the apostles. We might think of the apostles throughout their ministry as, as a series of constant orientation, disorientation, new orientation. 
especially in, very intensely, we can think about maybe this period of three, three and a half years that they're with the Lord, and they're starting to get into sort of their groove as apostles. They're going from city to city, village to village, town to town, miracles, teaching. There's a certain coherence. We understand now the ways of the Lord. We know we're going to go into this village. People are going to come. He's going to heal them. Maybe we're going to feed them with multiplication of loaves like we did before. Perhaps some of them are going to accuse him of being uh, heretic or whatever, or breaking the law. And then this is the, our life now. And this is, how, this is how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. This is just how it's going to be. We're all young. We're all in our 20s and 30s. And then the week of Holy Week comes, Passion Week comes. And the, the apostles are thrown into this intense period of disorientation. Right? Total disorientation. Everything that we thought was coherent in our life has been pulled up from underneath us. Everything that was taught to us, everything that we expected about what he was going to do for Israel, the king of Israel, all of a sudden we don't understand. Why is he being arrested? Why isn't he defending himself? Why isn't God defending him? Why is he going to the cross? And then the new orientation, the, the empty tomb. He appears to them on multiple occasions after the resurrection. And he brings them to this new understanding, this new, new coherence about life. Right? And then even maybe we could say that during these 40 days, there is a new coherence, right? This is, a, this is a, the new orientation becomes orientation, right? The new orientation becomes now the, the, the regular orientation. And then again, he says, but I have to go. Because if I don't go, I can't send you the Holy Spirit. But Lord, you rose, now everything is back to being okay. And now you're going to leave us again? What does it mean you're going to send us the Holy Spirit? We want you. And then, again, they have this ten days of waiting between Ascension and Pentecost, disorientation. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them with great power, and a, and a power that they didn't experience even when they were healing in, in, in Galilee and Jerusalem. And now this new orientation begins to blossom, and they all go through the ends of the world, baptizing and performing miracles and going to their own martyric deaths. What a beautiful, what a beautiful cycle. How can we know? How can we, how can we anticipate if any of us now are in a disorientation in our life? How can we anticipate what that new orientation looks like? We can only wait for it. We can only expect it. We can only know that God is the one who brings about it in His time and in His wonderful ways. Right? And so we live, the, the, the point of today's sort of reflection on, on, on the end of the world is that we live in this tension. We live in the tension of, of, of the disorientation of what will take place at the end of times, or what will take place as our own bodies deteriorate with sickness and illness and fatigue or stress or whatever it is, or age, right? And we, we wonder, well, what, are we just going from bad to worse? It's just, it's, 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 I, I, the time of my life was in my, my teens, my 20s, my 30s, and now it's all just going downhill. So, as, as Walter Brueggemann says, he says that the reality that deep loss and amazing gift are held together in a powerful tension. I think that's a, a, very, one of, a very beautiful, powerful way that he describes it. The reality that deep loss and amazing gift are held together in this powerful tension in our lives. 
And that's what hope gives us. That's what our Christian faith gives us. Without that, we just have deep loss. We just have deterioration. We just have disorientation. But we have an you know, amazing gift that we wait for and receive with gratitude and walk under, walk on wonder. So, another thing I just want to sort of reflect on as it relates to this is what is it that we do in disorientation? Because that is the most painful time. We know that in orientation, in, re in new orientation, perhaps naturally we, we give thanks. We are full of gratitude and joy and happiness. And we perhaps give back to God what we can in whatever ways that we can. But what do we do in times of disorientation? And that's where the Psalms are so instructive for us. This orientation is a time of lament. Oh, that we read the Lamentations of Jeremiah on Holy Great Friday. Right? This crying of the human soul, pouring itself out to God in lamentation, describing its pain, describing its misery, describing all of its woes, describing the darkness that it, that, that it goes through. So that's the language that we have during this orientation, lament. And lament is, a, is, is, is not something that we should avoid. Lament is not a sign of weakness. Lament is the very means by which we prepare ourselves to encounter God, who then brings about the new orientation. I approach him with total honesty and vulnerability. I come to him broken in darkness, confused, sad, angry, resentful. I come to him with all of these feelings, just as David did. And then I say, but nonetheless, Lord, praise be to you, glory be to you. And so we learn to speak this language to God because it is the language of a child who cries out to his heavenly father, who's confused, who's in pain. And who else are we going to go to? Who else are we going to cry out to? In the funeral psalm, which we, sometimes I, I ask myself, why do we say this psalm in the funeral where it's the time of trying to comfort the family? You think that the psalm that we chant would be very <clears throat> uplifting. The psalm that we chant says, the snares of death encompass me. The pains of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. It doesn't say that his life was saved. It just says that he cries out to God. And the third day, when somebody departs, we also have a service, a memorial service for the third day and the fortieth day. And the same thing, I went and looked at the psalm that we say in the third day prayer. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying and my throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Answer me, O Lord, for thy steadfast love is good. According to thy abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to me. Redeem me. Set me free because of my enemies. So, we cry out to God. We just cry to Him. We lament to Him. And the point is, lamentation is often filled with questions. Right? David is constantly saying, Why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? When will you, O Lord? And in the Psalms, we never get the answers. We don't, we don't hear the Lord responding to Him and saying, Let me tell you why. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you when. But that's the point. The point of lamentation is not that we ask a question seeking an answer. The point is that we ask a question because 
We have no one else to ask it to except God. We need to enter into dialogue with Him because we know He has the power to bring about a new orientation in our life, a new coherence to our life. We know that we can only trust Him. Lord, to whom shall we go, St. Peter says? You have the words of eternal life. He says to them, do you want to go away also? And St. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We can only cry to you. We know that if we cry to anybody else, it's just falling on deaf ears. We know that when we cry to you and we pray to you, you hear us, you love us, you are merciful to us. You don't need to answer us. You just need to know that you're there and that you accept the cries of our heart. One day we will know. One day we will understand. One day we will have that coherence, as we'll see, as Jeremiah says, at the end of time. So we learn to wait. We learn to speak from our hearts. We learn to cry out as children to our Heavenly Father. We learn to let go. And I remember a beautiful story of many, many years, a very simple story about a child who was praying for his parents who were going through a divorce. And he kept praying, and nothing was happening. They were still going through the divorce. And then finally he said, you know what? God is not hearing me. So I write a note to God, and I'll put it in a balloon. And I'll let the balloon ascend to God, and then he will hear my prayer. And when he did, he let go. He said, for sure now God has heard my prayer. This idea of we pray oftentimes, but we don't let go. And so we need to let go. We need to give it to God, knowing that he's heard it. He's received it. You know, he, he experiences in, in his own way, his own divine essence, in his own way that is impassable, unlike our nature. But he still somehow enters into that experience of, of compassion with us. And lament demonstrates belief. We have no other way of showing our faith to God except lamenting to Him. Look at the Gospel. It's full of lamentations. In Matthew 15, we hear, Behold a woman from Canaan. You know the beautiful story of the Canaanite woman who was compared to a dog. A woman from Canaan came from that region and cried out, She's not Jewish. She cried out to Him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. She just cried. She just lamented. And her child was healed. Again, a few chapters later in Matthew. Now as they went out to Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting on the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And they were healed. Again in Luke 17. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off crying and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they were healed. So, how do we summon God? Yes, it sounds maybe strange for us to speak in such language that God needs to be summoned. But He wants us to summon Him through lamentation, through weeping, through crying out with sincerity, with pain. Lord, I am sinking in deep mire. Save me. Lord, as Psalm 18 says, beautifully, very short, severe, short, but beautiful prayer that you could repeat as a Jesus prayer. Lord, I am yours. Save me. Or, Lord, I am dying, save me. And we just learn to speak this language to God, and again, it's up to Him how He responds, but we know that He hears us and that He is doing something, even if we don't understand at the moment. Finally, then, what is the new orientation of the end of the world? You know that in the, in the Bible, there's always these Events that take place that are real events, 
historical event, but they also are prophetic events. So we have, again, the, the series of exile of, of Jews, of the, the Israelites, the Jews who were taken into captivity to Babylon, lived in exile, and that experience of so much of the prophets calling them to repentance, and uh, the cries of the, of the prophets, you know, both calling the people to repentance and giving them hope that their exile will not last forever, but that God will do something. Be ready, He is going to do something. And that's what He says to us today. The end of the world is coming, it's not going to be pleasant. However, it happens either in our own individual way, how we die individually, or whether we live to see some, you know, cataclysmic uh, world events. It's not going to be pretty. But the prophets are telling us, listen to what Jeremiah says about his new orientation. Now he's speaking to the Jews of his time, but he's definitely also speaking <coughs> prophetically to all of us. He says in chapter 29, now beautiful because Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah the weeping prophet. What a beautiful title to give a prophet. Because he's just as mental and wept all the time. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me, and when you search for me, when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away as captives. The new orientation, the kingdom of God, paradise, in which the book of Revelation tells us all of our tears will be wiped away. A new heaven, a new earth. You have to come down like a bride. May the Lord grant us the grace of living in faith and trust and hope through our seasons of orientation, disorientation, new orientation. May we wait upon Him, yes, with pride from our hearts and lamentations, with, with also expectations that He be all glory and honor for us.